We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Top Dogs Podcast here on the Field of 68 Media Network. It is Monday, November 6th, and you know what that means? College basketball is back. UConn basketball is back, and now we have a chance to be able to watch these Huskies go out there and try to repeat as national champs in games that actually count. I cannot wait. I'm fired up. This is uh, this is exactly what we've all been looking for since that night in Houston, all the way back on April 4th. So, uh, look, I'm not going to do any deep dives and, and and heavy previews for Northern Arizona, for Stonehill, for Mississippi Valley State. I don't see UConn struggling with those teams. And if they are struggling with those teams, then I think we have a bigger problem and a bigger conversation to have. Uh, we will do some preview episodes for uh, the Empire Classic when they are playing Indiana. That is Sunday, November 19th. That's the first time we're going to get some uh, real preview shows. We will be there. Field of 68. We're going to do uh, shows live from the floor. Um, UConn, Indiana. Uh, I believe that's Texas Louisville there also. We'll be there for both those games on Sunday and on Monday nights. Um, yeah, it's going to be a fun season. I'm really looking forward uh, to what we can get from this UConn team. Um, later on in this episode, we're going to do a Q&A. I took some questions on Twitter. I took some questions on the Boneyard, uh, which was interesting and revealing. Um, and I also have uh, interviews with Tristan Newton and Alex Caravan that we're going to drop in here at the end. I was able to record those when I went up to stores uh, back in mid-October, uh, right before Atlantic 10 Media Day. So I want to make sure that we're able to to kind of give you guys access to them. It was fun conversations. Alex and Tristan are uh, they're, they're interesting guys. They're quiet guys, but they're interesting guys, and I think it's worth sharing those, uh, those interviews with you as well. So um, we're going to get into all that. Uh, two things I want to run, run through first. The first is um, what the realistic expectations, I think, should be for this UConn team and this UConn program heading into this year. Now, I know what the actual expectations are for UConn every season, and that's to win a national championship, right? Um, and it's that way if you're Duke, it's that way if you're Kentucky, it's that way if you're Kansas, it's that way if you're UConn, um, especially the way that Dan Hurley's got it rolling, especially when you enter the season as a preseason, what, top consensus, top 18, top 10 team. So, um, I don't think that it's wrong to be able to say that that is what the hope and the goal and the aspiration is for this team. Um, I think if you go into any season for any team in the sport and say that it is a failure, if you don't win a national championship, that is something that is uh, almost impossible to live up to. 
Um, so this is the way that I look at it in my mind, right? I think that if we look up in late February and this group is right there contending for a uh, big East regular season championship, I think if they get to the semifinals of the big East tournament with a chance to win the big East tournament in Madison square garden, and if they give us a run in March where, uh, we are playing on the second weekend with a chance to make a run back to the final four back in Arizona. That's what I want out of this team. Um, I would like to win at least one of those, right? I would love to be able to win a big East regular season title or a big East tournament title or get back to the final four. I think that that is uh, something that is very much within the realm of possibility and very much within reach. Um, and I think it's fair to say there would be a little bit of a disappointment if not one of those things happened. Right. Uh, but I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to fret if all three of them don't. That's a big ask and a lot of expectation on a team where they are playing in a conference with uh, legitimately, I think, five teams that have a chance to be able to win the league, where they are playing uh, in a sport where Kansas and Duke and Purdue and Michigan State and Marquette and a lot of really good teams and really well-coached teams are absolutely loaded. So uh, overall, and maybe this isn't the right forum to have the conversation, but I do think that this is going to be a very, very good season for college basketball as a whole. I think there are a lot of high-level teams. I think that the top of the sport is going to be uh, about as good as it was back in 2015. I think 2015 was kind of the pinnacle of like the, the last decade or so in terms of having as many good teams at the very top of the sport. Uh, I think that there are... The, so the thing that's great about this year to me is that there are, I would say, probably 12 teams that I would put in Tier 1 of college basketball overall. I think UConn belongs in that tier. I think that I would personally have them somewhere near the bottom of that tier and like the 10 to 12 range nationally. Uh, but I think that the difference between number one and number 12 in that group is not as big as uh, it's been in past years, right? Like I think that for my money, Duke is probably the best team in college basketball this year. And I think that the difference between Duke and let's just say like an Arizona or a Yukon or a Tennessee is really not as big as it's been in the past. And I think that has more to do with how good teams like Tennessee, Yukon and Arizona have a chance to be than with uh, there not being one great team in the sport of college basketball. Um, so it's going to be a fun year. There are going to be a lot of unbelievable matchups. There are going to be a lot of unbelievable games. I think that the trip to uh fall gallon field house is going to be something that a lot of, uh, fans are, and, and players are going to remember. I think that that Indiana matchup um, in New York City is going to be fun to watch. I can't wait for the North Carolina game, the Jimmy V Classic. And then, like, how do you not look forward to, you know, games against Villanova and um, games against Marquette and, you know, games against uh, Creighton, which has always been a battle. And I really love the budding rivalry there. And, you know, how do you not get excited about a season ending trip to Providence, right? Like, it's I think the best thing about the way that the schedule has kind of shaken up for uh, for UConn this year is that I think that there's going to be some lumps early on. Right. I think that the the process of getting to where they are at their best is going to take a little bit longer this year than it did last season. And part of that is because you got to get you know, a guy like a Steph Castle up to speed. You got to get Donovan Klingon back one into game shape and two uh, used to playing at that level again. Right. Um, I think that 
it is guys like Tristan Newton and Alex Caravan stepping into bigger roles and different roles this year. I think it is getting Cam Spencer acclimated to what is being asked of him um, playing at UConn. But if you look at the way that the schedule shakes out, like, you know, do they really have a game that you would expect them to lose until like the trip to Kansas on December 1st? No, you basically have seven games at the start of the season to really figure things out. Now you're going to have two tests in there. Indiana, I think is going to be good. And, and, Assuming they win that game, I think the matchup with Texas is going to be a really difficult one. Um, but all of those are winnable, and all those are games where UConn is probably going to end up being favored, especially when consider the locale where those games are being played. Um, then if you look at the Big East schedule, like it starts like this. Seton Hall, St. John's, DePaul, Butler, Xavier, who I think is not going to be quite as good as uh, people expect them to be. They're going to be a little bit younger. They're missing their two best players. And Georgetown at home, like I think that we're going to look up um, on January 17th on that, that that home game against Creighton and UConn is going to be sitting there at 7-0 in the Big East, right? And then things kind of get a little bit hairy. Like you got Creighton at home, Villanova on the road, Xavier at home, Providence at home. Um, but all of like the toughest games, I think, on their schedule are going to happen at the end of February, right? Marquette at home, February 17th. Creighton on the road, February 20th. Villanova at home, February 24th. Uh, Marquette on the road, March 6th. Providence on the road, March 9th. So, like, the real difficult part of the schedule is going to be the last three weeks of the season, and that is presumably when UConn is going to be playing their best basketball and when they have kind of figured it out. So I do think that the the way that the schedule shakes out for them is going to be relatively beneficial, right? Um, the thing I love about the Big East is everybody's got to play everybody, so there's, you're, you're not ducking any road games. Um, you're not ducking any smoke in this conference, but uh, – to have it backloaded like that. Now, granted, a lot of those teams are going to be at their best too, but I think that UConn is going to be playing their best basketball by the end of the season, and and uh, that is something that should be um, beneficial for the program. Now, uh, the other concern that I have, and and you know, maybe concern is the wrong word, but let's phrase it like this: What does UConn have to do? What has to happen for UConn to be able to uh, go from being a team that I see as like a three seed? heading into the tournament right now to being a team that can go out and win the national title. The biggest and most important one is Donovan Klingon has to stay healthy, right? Like we can hype up Samson Johnson as much as we want. And we can talk about the impact of the freshman as much as we want. We can talk about Tristan Newton as much as we want, but the bottom line is this, like if, if the big fella ain't, ain't, ain't right, like if you can't get that foot, right. Um, if he isn't there throughout the entire season, then that is, that's just not something that you're going to be able to overcome easily. Uh, point blank period. I, I don't think that it is a hot take. I don't think that it is disrespectful to say that losing a guy that is an all American and a potential lottery pick um, is, is, is going to be something where you can overcome it and still be good enough to win a national championship. Right. I still think they'll probably be able to compete with anybody on a given night, but you're not national title. Good. If that seven foot three monster is in there in the paint. And um, I think part of the reason why they've been as cautious as they've been, bringing him back he just got back into practice on thursday is 
exactly what you're seeing out of Xavier right now, right? Like Zach Fremantle has had three different foot surgeries over the course of the last, what, three years. He's basically played a year and a half of basketball in his last three seasons in college. He missed the last six weeks of last year. He re-injured the same foot for the third time in July, and he's probably going to end up missing this season. And if he was here, if he was playing, like he's a first-team all-biggies caliber guy. If he was playing and Jerome Hunter was playing, we'd be looking at Xavier as like a potential top 25 kind of a team. Uh, but without them there, like it, it, you just see the hit that that team is going to take. And um, I think that Xavier is going to have to struggle and fight and scrap for trying to get into the NCAA tournament this year. So uh, I, the Donovan Klingon's foot is the single biggest swing factor when it comes to this season. Uh, but that's the obvious thing. Once you get past that, I think the key is going to end. We talked about the defense last week, right? Like I think that uh, we are, kind of underappreciating some of the question marks that are there with UConn on the defensive end of the floor. Um, but I think there's two guys that are going to have to step up. We've already talked at length about the, the, the value of Samson Johnson and being able to have a guy that can come off the bench and be able to contribute uh, 12 to 14 minutes to keep Donovan Klingon fresh, keep him out of foul trouble, uh, make sure that he makes it to the end of the season playing his best basketball the way that that Adama Sanogo was last year. To me, the two most important things are uh, Tristan Newton and Alex Caraban taking a step forward. Now, we talked a little bit about Caraban, I believe, uh, two weeks ago on the pod. And um, here's the question that I have with him, right? And I think I asked him this. At, at Big East Media Day. I can't remember. We've had so many media days and, and shows since then. But uh, we saw him make the leap or make a leap last year, right? When UConn was kind of in that downswing, when they lost five out of six, every team that they played and that they beat was attacking him. They kind of said, look, you know what? Where we can get at this team is with Alex Carabin at the four. I think Bryce Hopkins went nuts against them. Uh, Omax had a really good game against them when they played at Marquette. Um, that was kind of the, the, the weak spot in UConn's defense. And, um, he got to the point by the end of the year where that wasn't the case anymore. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that he's Jaron Jackson 2.0. Right. But he got to the point where he was not a liability defensively anymore. And he was beating people off the dribble and he was banging home threes. And he turned into a very, very, very good, uh, complimentary piece on an offense that had two guys that you could kind of trust on to be stars in Jordan Hawkins and Thomas and So my question about Alex Caravan is, was that the leap for him? Was that his breakout or is there another step yet to come? And I, my suspicion is that there's probably another step yet to come because I don't think we've quite seen him be more than a spot up shooter yet. And I believe that he is. I think he is a guy that can, uh, attack a closeout and get to the rim and finish. I think he is a guy that could take advantage of some mismatches in the paint. I think he is a guy that has a little bit more uh, shit to him as a one-on-one player um, than we've seen in the past, right? Like he's kind of been a spot-up shooter uh, so far in his career. So if he can become someone where he is to the point that he is um, more than just like – I don't want to say not a liability because he's not a liability defensible anymore, but where he becomes an impact defender and a positive outcome defender. Um, and also stepping up and being like a 13 point per game guy that still shoots with the same efficiencies and 
oh, by the way, can also be someone where if you have to isolate him, can go get you a shot at the end of a clock if you need to, that can take advantage of a mismatch somewhere. I think that's going to be really important for UConn's growth. But to me, you need Tristan Newton, I think, to kind of step into a star role, right? And I talked about this a little bit. I, I had a, a long post on on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it um, yesterday, kind of detailing thought, thoughts on this a little bit more specifically. But um, I think that if you look at what he was last year, right, he was a guy that was a little bit more inefficient offensively and he's been in the past especially shooting from two-point range i think a lot of that had to do with adjusting to the physicality and the length and athleticism in the big east right um i think he's someone where he was a little bit more passive offensively than he's been in the past when he was at east carolina remember he averaged like 17 points and five assists when he was a redshirt sophomore at uh, east carolina um, and only took seven shots a game this past season um, a lot of that was uh, figuring out how we could impact the game, I think. And I think he's kind of taken over that role. So um, I, I, I ran the math on it a little bit. And and let's just say that his efficiency numbers as a two-point score go back to what they were when he was at East Carolina, right, where he is shooting about 49% from two-point range as opposed to 38%, which he shot last year. Well, if he had done that last season, it means he would have made 81 twos instead of 62 twos, which would have been 40 more points he would have scored last season. Then if you factor in that this year, I think that he'll probably get maybe 11 or 12 shots a game as opposed to seven and a half shots a game. Um, and if 40% of his field goal attempts to continue to be threes, then if you extrapolate that math out, and I can do the work for you if you want, but I don't think people want to hear the uh, the math nerd in me and, the, and, and kind of rolling through all that, you're looking at another five points per game bump um, when you kind of run the numbers on that. So I think it's very reasonable to say that if Tristan Newton becomes a guy that gets 11 or 12 shots a game, if he gets to the line a little bit more, which we would expect with a player that's more aggressive, and if he can get those efficiency numbers up. I don't think it's out of this world to project him as a guy that averages 16 points, five boards and five assists. And if Tristan Newton becomes a guy that averages 16 points, five boards and five assists, then one, we're talking about a dude that's got like a very real chance to be in the big East player of the year conversation. Like those are massive numbers for our team that is going to presumably be in and around the top 10 all year long and in and around the top three in the big East uh, all season long. And two, if he's putting up numbers like that, and if he's having that kind of an impact and he continues to be, um, you know, at, at least an average defender, like I think we're looking at like the, don't, that becomes a situation where you have your go-to guy down the stretch. You have your guy at the end of a clock. You have your guy that can get to the free throw line. You have your guy that can make things easier for teammates. You have your guy that can be the player that gets that first paint touch that, can create a closeout for Caravan, that can create a situation where Cam Spencer's got to open look, that can get into the lane and throw a lob up to Donovan Klingon, right? That can get into the lane and create a um, space for Steph Castle in the dunker spot, that, that can do all of these different things and be that first player that gets a paint touch and can get the ball moving and get the defense moving. I, I just, I think that if UConn is going to hit the ceiling and have a chance to be, a team that repeats when we look up in March, like I think Tristan's got to make a leap like that. And the more I think about it, the more I think that that is like well within his range of outcomes. 
Um, so I'm excited to see the, the step forward that he takes. And we, we talked about that a little bit. You'll hear that uh, interview later on. But, um, yeah, I, I think that the, the development of those two as role guys to stars is something that's going to be really important for this team moving forward. So, um, yeah, that's about – that's about what I got in, in terms of some of those thoughts uh, and, and some of my predictions for the season. If you want me to to put pen to paper and say what I think is going to end up happening, um, you know, I think that UConn is going to be one of the top three teams in the Big East when it's all said and done, right? I think that Marquette is probably the best team in the conference. I know that BetMGM and some of these uh, other online sports books. Um, have them listed as the uh, the third best team in the league. I don't really understand that. Um, I think Creighton is really good. I think Villanova, uh, if Jay Wright was coaching that team with the pieces they have on the roster, would enter the season as a preseason top three team in America. Um, and I, I know I got people got really upset at me for what I said on the the hot takes bold prediction show. Uh, we did on on After Dark earlier this year, but I think Providence is good enough to be able to um, to make a run at finishing in the top three as well. And and just just for clarity, like just so people understand the way that this stuff goes, like when it comes to the hot take show, one uh, the whole premise is like, okay, we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Find something that no one is talking about that you can justify with an argument and let's have that conversation and have a little bit of fun with it and say something kind of ridiculous. And that's where I went with Providence saying that they would, I predicted that they would be a top 15 team. I didn't predict. I said that I think that they can be a top 15 team and I think that they can be a top three team in the biggies. And of course that ended up being something that was aggregated as like me making an actual prediction as opposed to, uh, what we were doing on the bold predictions, hot takes kind of a show. So um, I just hope that people understand the context that more than what was mentioned before. And then the other thing where Jeff Goodman decided to light my mentions on fire by saying uh, in quotes, UConn is overrated at Rob Doster. Um, that's not how that conversation worked. The second question that we were asked by our producers was make a bold prediction or have a hot take about one of the blue bloods. I knew that one of the co-hosts on that show was saying something about North Carolina. I knew that one of the co-hosts on that show was saying something about UCLA. And I knew that one of the co-hosts on that show was going to be saying something about 
Kansas. So my options were uh, have a bold prediction or a hot take about Duke or have a bold prediction or a hot take about UConn. And I decided to make a bold prediction um, or have an opinion. It wasn't even a bold prediction. Like I just said that I thought that UConn was more in the top 10 to 12 range than the top like five to six range heading into the season for a lot of the regions, as I mentioned earlier, specifics of, uh, you know, Donovan Klingon's foot and, and question marks defensively. We talked about that, but, uh, of course, uh, Goodman decided to, uh, take that out of contents and let context and light my mentions on fire. So that is how all of that stuff kind of happened. That is a little, uh, peek behind the scenes in the way that the content industry works. So, I just hope that you guys don't hate me too much, man. It is what it is. Um, all right. So before we get into the interviews, uh, let's go through some of these questions that I was asked um, on Twitter and on the Boneyard. And the one that I want to start with comes from Trace Terrell, uh, who actually hosts the Cats coverage podcast on the Field of 68 podcast network, which is our second channel. Um, and he said, does UConn actually consider themselves in the borderline blue blood status of conversations? And I want to be clear about something, right? At this point in time, UConn, without a doubt, is one of the blue bloods of college basketball. And the reason I say that is probably threefold. Let's start with this. Since the tournament expanded to 64 teams in 1985, there are no programs in college basketball that have won more national titles than UConn. UConn's won five. Duke has also won five. I think if you have to look at the modern era of college basketball, which essentially stands, extends for my entire lifetime, right? I was literally born on the national title game uh, in 1985. Duke and UConn are the two most successful programs in college basketball. I think Duke... At, Please don't hate me for this, but I think Duke is without question number one on that list. Um, a lot of it has to do with the fact that they've never had the drop-off that UConn had like the last eight years or, or in years past. Uh, it is just a machine that can run on its own. It is too big to fail at this point. It is what it is. That's Duke basketball for you. You don't have to love them. You can hate them for it, but it's true. Uh, and I think Duke, the UConn is right there as number two, right? Like nobody else has won more national titles than them. There are people that are currently doctors right now that are 30 years old that have never seen, well, 28 years old that have never seen Indiana win a title and have never seen UCLA win a national title, right? As much as everyone wants to call those two programs blue bloods, UConn's won five titles since then, right? Uh, Duke has won five titles since Indiana won their last national title. UConn and Duke have combined won eight national titles since UCLA won their last national title. Like, what are we even talking about here? In the modern era of college basketball, like nobody has been more successful in the postseason than UConn has been. Um, the other thing I would say is that uh, when you look at some programs that are at that level, um, they haven't done it under different coaching staffs right and i think the only exception is coach k and like i think we will see that with john sire that's a different conversation for a different day but uh uconn has reached the pinnacle again under a coach that is different than jim calhoun and as much as like the last eight years is probably a justifiable argument against uconn's blue blood status if you want to go that route um when you are when you have all of that other stuff that we already talked about when you've been the most successful program 
uh, one of the two most successful programs in college basketball over the course of 38 years in the modern era. Um, and you also combine that with the fact that they've reached that pinnacle under two different head coaches. Like, how can you argue against it? You can't. You just can't do it. So, yeah, UConn, Trace, is without a doubt a blue blood. And uh, anybody arguing against that um, really needs to come to have their come to Jesus moment. They need to see the light. They probably need to reevaluate a couple things in their life. And, Trace, I hope that you will. Uh, we're still friends, though, buddy. Good first episode. Um, all right. Uh, let's go with the real Alex Larson here. He says, it's impossible to replace Andre, but who is going to be the best perimeter defender on the team this season? And uh, look, without a doubt, it's going to be Asan Diar. He is a pest on the ball. Um, he is a guy that uh, was utilized very well last season in a role as kind of the change of pace um, change of pace defender where you brought him in and UConn threw on like a 2-2-1 press and they really got after you and they tried to change the tempo and they tried to force some turnovers and make you uncomfortable. He can really heat people up on the ball. Um, and I expect him to be used in that role again. Once you get past him, and maybe specifically talking about the guys that we think are the the best five on that team, um, Stefan Castle is the best athlete. So in theory, he probably should be the best perimeter defender, but he's also a freshman. Um, I think Cam Spencer and Alex Caravan are both really good like team defenders that understand – uh, where they're supposed to be. They understand positioning. They understand the rotations that they have to make. They get to the right spots. They make the right plays. I don't think either of them would necessarily qualify as like elite one-on-one -on -one defenders or great one-on-one -on -one defenders. Um, but I think they do a really good job within the context of a defensive system. Um, and I think the same thing can be said about Donovan Klingon, who will allow all of these guys to be more aggressive because of his ability to, frankly, I, I know that we all love the James Harden quote. Like I'm not, I'm not a system player. I am the system. Well, I think that Donovan Klingon is the system for UConn defensively because of the presence that he has in the paint and his ability to be a rim protector there. Um, so I think that he makes all of those defenders better, but to answer your question, like, I don't know if that starting five has an elite perimeter on ball defender on it. Stefan Castle is probably the guy uh, if you need someone to be that guy, but there is no replacement for Anche. It just, uh, he was AFJ for a reason and um, you don't replace him. You find a way to be able to try to be as effective doing something else. Cause you just, you're not going to be able to do it the same way uh, without him. Um, all right. Watson. I don't know how to pronounce Watson. Zeon uh, 88 asks, how long do you expect that we can keep Kamani and Luke Murray on our staff for. And I'll tell you this, I'm honestly shocked that they're both still there. I think both of them uh, are good enough to be head coaches. I think that both of them are eventually going to get another opportunity somewhere. I think that as UConn fans, you should be ecstatic that those two are uh, able to be in the program, in the roles that they're in for as long as they're going to be there. Um, I understand why, you know, Iona went with, Tobin Anderson over a guy like Kamani Young. Um, and I do think that places like, let's just say Fairfield, and depending on what happens with Jared Grasso, uh, someplace like a Bryant would be really smart to take a long look at Luke and take a long look at Kamani. Um, and I know that both of them have had chances and in interviews and uh, been in, let's just say, been in the mix for opportunities before. Um, and they're both going to get more chances eventually, but like one, uh, they are making very good livings right now in a great situation where 
they are going to be competing for championships year in and year out at a top five program in the sport. And uh, that's a, that's a good gig. That is a really, really good gig. Whereas, because you know, you know, you got to think about these things, right? From the perspective of like having a family and the, the stability, uh, both of them are going to be guys that want to go get a head coaching job. But at the same time, if you take the wrong job, you could end up in a situation where you have to move, relocate your family, take your children out of schools where they're there. They have friends, sell a house, buy a new house, do all of those things that, that involve uh, relocating um, to a different part of the country. And then um, you have to do it again in like four years. If you end up getting fired, if you don't end up in the right position. And for as long as those two are at UConn, like you're never going to have to worry about that. I, I, I don't, I don't foresee UConn being in a situation where they have to Kevin, where they have to do a Kevin Ollie to Dan Hurley at any point. I, I don't know if Dan Hurley is going to win another national title. Maybe he's not going to win another Final Four, but I do think that he will be in a position where the decision to part ways with UConn is going to be his as opposed to UConn saying that you can't work here anymore. And as long as he is there, I don't see him making the decision to uh, get rid of either Kamani or Luke. If they leave UConn, it'll be because they go with UConn, uh, go with Hurley to another job, or because they end up getting another job uh, on their own. So enjoy them for as long as they're there. Um, I think that they are both good enough to be able to have head coaching jobs somewhere else right now. I think that UConn is very lucky to have both of them on staff. Uh, and if they never leave, um, I'm not going to complain about them. I like them both. Um, all right, Logan Wine four and the and my man Big Basil eighty five both asked about Yusuf Sangari and um, I I do think that he is a little bit more of a project than uh, some of the other freshmen in the class. I think there's a reason why he was um, I don't want to say lowest rated coming into to college, but like he wasn't he was a three star guy as opposed to like a Stephen Castle, right? Uh, but I also don't think the staff would bring him in if they didn't see that there was something there. One, he's a great personality and he's a great presence in the locker room. Uh, two, he is a big physical athletic body that bare minimum provides five extra fouls and gives you a little bit of insurance in case uh, the big seven foot three monster, um, the foot uh, doesn't, you know, doesn't really act up for him. He's a footer. He's athletic. We'll see how he develops, but uh, I think that he is a guy that is a nice piece for the ro for the rotation and for the future at this point. Um, you know, if he ends up being a guy where as a junior, as a senior, he's a 25 minute per game guy. Great. I think that that's probably what you need to count on this season. If you are, uh, if you're watching Yusef right now, um, Cowboy Adama asks, who is the new Joey C? Who's the new Joey Calcaterra? And to me, the, the, there's one very obvious answer here and that's solo ball. Um, I think that they're going to be used in slightly different roles. I think that Joey last year was probably like the eighth or ninth guy off the bench. And this year, I think that solo is probably going to end up being the first guy off the bench. So it's not exactly like an apples to apples comparison. Um, but I mean, solo is, he is exactly what you want him to be, right? A six man that can come in and be instant offense, a six man that can come in and make shots, a six man that, understands that his role when he gets in the game is to get buckets and to score and to be athletic and to provide energy and just go out there for, 
whether it's 15 minutes or 25 minutes, go out there and be himself to the absolute fullest. And uh, I think that he is going to be a fan favorite. I think that he is going to provide some highlights this year that make your mind blown. I think that there are going to be, let's just say at least two games during Big E's play where he pops off for 20 points off the bench and UConn doesn't win the game if he doesn't pop off for those 20 points off the bench. I, I, he's, I think he's going to be really, really good. And I hope that uh, he is a guy that is able to stay around for two or three years. Because if he stays for two or three years, I think that we're looking at an All-American. Here's one of those dudes where you just, the arrow has been pointing up for the last two years since he's been in high school. And I don't see it. I don't see it reaching a plateau at any point soon. The work ethic, um, the talent, the ability, the drive, like he's got all of those things. I think he's awesome. I can't wait to see him play. Um, Hurley's Army uh, on Twitter and the son of Robert on the Boneyard both asked uh, very similar questions. Um, By the end of conference play, who do you think will be getting more minutes, Jaden Ross or Jalen Stewart? And um, I think the way that I want to answer this is that if you are a UConn fan and you want the best case scenario for the UConn Huskies long term this season and for them to get to their highest point and reach their ceiling, I think you, you should be rooting for it to be Jalen Stewart in that role. And the reason that I say this is that I think that right now, Jaden Ross is a little bit of a more of a known commodity in the sense that he's been able to pick up on what UConn wants to run a little bit quicker. Uh, He's been able to fit into the offense and defensive systems a little bit easier. Uh, He knows what to do as a six foot eight athletic switchable defender role player that can knock down threes a little bit easier than what Jalen Stewart can do right now at this point. Um, There's a reason why uh, Hurley and the staff have been talking about him as like a potential NBA guy in two or three years. Like the ceiling is absolutely there with him. Um, And I also think that it is uh, probably fair to say that Jalen Stewart is a more physically gifted and more talented player than Jaden Ross is now his his adjustment to the college level is going to be it's taking a little bit longer than what Jalen Stewart's uh, J, uh, Jaden Ross's has been for a number of different reasons one he's um he's transferring him from Seattle or he's coming to the program from Seattle and there's a it takes a little bit of while with, with Seattle kids to get adjusted to the college level two he was banged up a little bit uh, after he arrived on campus and it wasn't able to actually get into the practices as much um, early on and uh, and three he didn't arrive on campus until the first week of August as opposed to the last week of May so he was already five weeks behind um, adjusting and then slowed down again because of an injury and then uh, they knew it was always going to be a little bit longer with him but he's gotten into shape he's big he's strong he's physical he's got a presence on the glass I think that he is you want to talk about like a guy at the four that could be a mismatch problem like that is him it might, it might not be until next year. It might not be until his junior season, but like he's going to be a dude at that four spot. He's exactly what you look for in like a modern four man uh, in college basketball. And if he gets there by the end of the season and he has usurped uh, Jaden Ross in the rotation by the end of the season, like I think that is only going to be a good thing for college basketball. Or I'm sorry, a good thing for uh, UConn this college basketball season. It's time to talk about Bolted, first of all. Vaulted is an app that allows you to participate in daily cash prize pools without an entry fee. Uh, V-L-T-E-D. 
It's the place to store your own bold predictions forever. And by using the Vaulted Challenge feature, you can prove you're smarter than your friends. So go download the Vaulted app. Give it a try for free. Vaulted is spelled V-L-T-E-D. And it's the app to challenge your friends, store your predictions, join daily cash prize pools without any entry fee. Download Vaulted today. All right, so I went in there and I'm going to challenge you guys. And my prediction is that Kentucky does not win 25 games this season. Um, They were a lock to win 25 every year the first 10 years. I think they did it maybe eight or nine of Cal's first 10 years other than the NIT year. Uh, Last few, they they haven't done it. Obviously, they're really bad in in 21. Uh, Then a couple years ago when they lost to St. Peter's, they won 26. Last year, they won 22 and 12. Uh, Where do you guys stand on this? How... Doug, are you are you accepting my challenge and, and saying that Kentucky's going to win uh, at least 25 games this year? I, I agree with you. I think it's more likely than not they don't win 25 games, right? Because because remember, like you're throwing some freshman guards out there against yeah. Kansas, Miami, Carolina. It's more likely than not they don't win 25 games. I still think you have a very good year. I don't think they win more yeah. than 25 games. And the last question today comes from Aurora over on the Boneyard. He says, Hurley has tweaked the offensive scheme every year based on personnel. Uh, how will he tweak it this year? So um, the way that I would phrase this is that I think that he really embraced um, the idea of like more of a pace and space kind of model last season. I think that he uh, understood that um, part of the limitations uh, to the the team in the program um, heading into the 2022-23 season was that uh, toughness and physicality and rebounding and, um, and, and defense and all of these kind of um, that brand of basketball could only get you so far without a certain level of skill and a certain level of offensive identity. And I think that he really built an offense that played into those players' talents last season. This year, I think that the offense is going to have to be something. Look, it's going to have to be different, right? Like Donovan Klingon, as good as he is, he's not a Sanogo in the post. Um, it's just not his skill set, right? They're different basketball players. Uh, as good as Cam Spencer is as a shooter, like he ain't Jordan Hawkins. Jordan Hawkins might be the best like sprint into a shooter that we've seen since what like rip uh rip hamilton um i can't remember a guy in the collegiate ranks and please someone fill me in if they got a better better idea on this someone that was as good as he was at sprinting off of a three sprinting into a catch making a shot off of that catch rising staying on balance the way that he impacted a defense like I love Cam Spencer as a player, but he ain't Jordan Hawkins, and that is not any kind of disrespect towards Cam Spencer as a basketball player, right? So I think it's going to have to be different. And the way that I see that kind of happening is um, a more ball screen heavy attack, right? Like where Sonogo was, like you could use him a little bit as a, a guy that could space the five. Um, he was really good at the kind of like square you up, get to his left hand and drive to the basket kind of a thing. Uh, I think that he developed as a short roll threat um, as the season went on. Donovan Klingon is as good of a um, lob target 
and a rim running threat as you're going to find in college basketball point blank period. Like you could throw the ball above the top of the square and he can go up and get it. Um, and I think the combination of that with like the ability that he has as someone that I, I do think can end up being like a, a pick and pop three point threat. Um, I really, really think that you're going to see a more ball screen heavy scheme this year. One that uh, emphasizes the ability, like the the shooting that you're going to have with Cam Spencer and Alex Caravan, a solo ball and Jaden Ross and guys like that on the perimeter that emphasizes the uh, threat that Stephen Castle can have kind of in the dunker spot and, and work in the baseline. Um, and that really uh, takes into account how good someone like a Tristan Newton, honestly, someone like a Stephen Castle is at like turning a quarter and getting downhill, getting a defender on his hip and ball screen. So um, I think that what we're going to see is a lot more of a ball screen heavy attack. Now, if we're being totally honest, like what the practice that I was at, uh, there was no Donovan Klingon. So I don't know how much of what they were running was stuff that was going to be specifically uh, put in without having Klingon available and whatnot. And uh, I don't want to sit here on a podcast and, and talk about what kind of plays and what kind of actions I saw them practicing. Cause I do think that that is something that uh, might get me shanked the next time that I see uh, Dan Hurley, if I did that. So um, we're not going to do that here, but if you just look at the the way that the roster is constructed, scheming, scheming plays where you can get a whole bunch of movement that leads into a ball screen, uh, ideally an empty side ball screen. Let's just say the the way that I the, the best kind of play that I think you could run is some kind of play where you have a whole bunch of false motion, right? That ends up with Caravan on a wing, that ends up with Cam Spencer in a corner, and that ends up with uh, Stefan Castle as a guy that is in a weak side um, on the baseline where you have kind of a, a side ball screen between Tristan Newton and Donovan Klingon with him coming off the corner and looking for either uh, the lob to Klingon to Spencer in the weak side corner or to someone like a Steph Castle as uh, in like the strong side dunker spot with Alex Caravan as a floor spacer. I would love to see sets like that. I can't wait to see sets like that when it comes to this season for the UConn Huskies and uh, time will tell. I will be here. Um, at some point next week, uh, breaking down the games, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to do it on Monday night. Um, and I think I might just wait until after maybe even the third game to, to kind of go through and have a real feel for what uh, that will actually look like. Because if we're being completely honest, uh, I don't think that you can. I think you can go into these next three games without a single set put in without a coach on the sideline and go out and, and beat the teams that they're playing. It's just the talent differential is going to be uh, stark. So. I don't know how much we can actually take from those first three games, but uh, I will tell you this. I cannot wait to watch them. I cannot wait to see them. And I am so being fired up for uh, for that date with Indiana at the Barclays Center on Sunday, November 19th. I can't wait. UConn basketball is back, baby. All right, let's get into those interviews with Tristan Newton and Alex Caravan here on the Top Dogs Podcast. Now, let me welcome on to the Top Dogs podcast here on the field of 68. Now, there's been Alex Caravan, uh, UConn forward. Alex, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I, uh, I'm i good, man. Look, you're six months on from uh, being a national champion. What has what has changed over the last six months? Does it feel like there's a difference in your day today? Yeah, i definitely say so. I think you just get recognized way more. I think 
just people always congratulating you on the season that you had and um just people never really letting you forget about that season that's something that i'll never forget it's something that's super special myself and the rest of the guys on the team so um it's been a blessing how many times do you get asked to take a selfie every day a lot <laughs> definitely a <laughs> lot um so you're from the new england area right mm-hmm. oh what did the UConn program kind of represent to you when you were growing up? Was it something where you, I mean, look, Massachusetts doesn't have the same level as, of college basketball as a, a UConn program. Was it, were you a fan of this, this team? Did you follow it at all? Yeah, I definitely followed it. I think the first person I really followed was Shabazz Napier. He was from Boston. Yeah, so Massachusetts. Yeah, there you go. exactly. So I just followed his footsteps. And then I think I really fell in love with UConn when I saw them beat Florida in the final four. And I think ever since then, I just followed them always hoped that I could end up here and just help them win another national championship. So you are an elder statesman on this team. Now you're, you're technically a sophomore. It's your third year in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, as you kind of embrace a leadership role, what, what do you feel like you're, it's different for you with this group? Yeah, I'd say um, just losing Andre, Adama, Hawk, who are such great leaders in their own way. I think it's hard to always replicate that. And I think we just got to find myself, Tristan Donovan, just find different ways that we could bring leadership in our own way. And um, I think that's kind of the challenge right now, just trying to really establish that leadership on this team. And how, um, how do you do that? You say leadership. Is it being more vocal in practice? Is it, you know, being the guy to take a charge? Is it organizing um, you know, off-season uh, mm-hmm. captain's practices or whatever it is. Yeah, I think for us, it always starts with, you know, setting the standard and um, playing hard every day and just showing everyone how hard we go. And then after that, I think it comes with the vocal side of it, just always reminding people, holding people accountable. And uh, we're getting better by that every day. And then um, I think we get those two things done. I think we'll be really good. How does your shot go when you, when you shoot a knuckleball that spins like this? How does that happen? I have absolutely no idea. I've you, been doing that since I was little, so I have no idea. You, you've never had a coach try to to change your form or anything like that? It was just it goes in and they, they kind of say, where well, they, they have, they've had thoughts and stuff, but like it goes in, so I'm not going to fix it. Yeah. Um, with you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Jordan and, and Andre and Adama all leaving. Um, it, they played, at least from the outside, it seemed like they had such an ownership of what this program or what this team was in this program was when you feel, do you feel like one, you're taking some of that onto you and two, how do you, how does that change the way that you go about your day to day? Yeah, I definitely think I am taking ownership of this program. I think myself, Tristan Donovan, we really do got to fill in those voids and take ownership of the program. And I think every day we just got to show up with our play. I think we just got to show up as the dominant players on the teams uh, with the expectation and the standard that UConn basketball is and that Coach Hurley and the coaching staff establish and just replicate that every day to establish the culture and just establish the standard so we can go out there and just play UConn basketball. So you have a head coach that is famously – intense right is that you think that's fair to say fair to say have you seen any uh changes in him since winning the title like is practice different now no no everything's the same i think if you watch a practice you would have thought we didn't win last year so um nothing's changed about him and the coaching stuff is it ratcheted up a notch now yeah definitely. he got a a taste of it now he's got to get number six (laughs) yeah exactly all right so um you're in year three here when you 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 enrolled what was it uh, midway through the 2021-22 season, mm-hmm. right? And you registered it. How did that help you adjust? Did it feel like you were ready when you stepped in last season? Definitely. I think coming in early, it helped me get over those freshman hurdles. I think just having 
basically six months before any other freshman come on campus that helped me lose weight, helped me get stronger, helped me understand how Coach Hurley operates and practices and the system that they like to run. So just getting a head start on understanding the terminology and just really where to be, I think that that move really helped me be in the best position that I was last year. And I think if I didn't come in early, I don't think I would have been as successful or as impactful as I was last year. Knowing that you had that experience and knowing that this group of freshmen, as good as they are, doesn't have that opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how, how do you how do you help them? How do you kind of get you know solo and Steph and these guys ready? Because look, it's not easy. You guys have a lot of uh, a lot of sets, a lot of stuff that you run. Yeah, I think just being always by their side and just always being open with them. I think just establishing that trust to where they can come and ask you any questions anytime, and just always speaking to them as if like still trying to learn and just trying to like you know, good job or, you know, just fix this and just can try to keep their confidence going. I think that's something super important, especially with the coaching staff. You know, they could always be, they could be hard on us and um, just try not to get them too down on themselves and always reminding them that they are super important for the team. We are really going to need them. So just try to pick it up, learn on it, and it's all going to pay off. So I asked Donovan Klingon the same question and he literally named everybody on the roster who who's going to surprise us this year who has really impressed you in practice so far really impressed me i'm going to say solo ball Jaden russ i'd think those two i there was some talk about them before coming in but i think just being on the court with them and just i think they were out of all the people i think they're going to surprise a lot of people with just their talent and athleticism are they they picking up the offense what is it they're picking up yeah i think when they pick up the off they're picking up the offense definitely but i think when you get them into actions and just let them show what they're capable of. And then even just when they play basketball, just the plays that they make are special. All right. I'm going to ask you some of the questions that I just asked Donovan. Best environment in the big East that does not include anything in the state of Connecticut or Madison square. Garden. He's really good at ducking questions. He is. Um, I'm going to say Providence just because of the, uh, like the little rivalry in New England. And then I'm um, give Creighton their credit, too. It's always sold out when we show up there. 18,000 people wearing that color of blue is exactly. a lot of people wearing blue. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Sally's, Peppy's, Modern. Say Peppy's. Peppy's. Yeah. And your all-time UConn starting five. My all-time starting five? I'm you knew go... this question was coming. You yeah, heard yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go small. I like uh, Kemba and Shabazz in the backcourt. Ray Allen. I'm going to go Rudy Gay and Emeka Okafor. That's a good starting five right there. Listen, Alex (laughs) Caravan, national champion, UConn Husky. Now let me welcome on to the Top Dogs podcast here on the Field of 68 Media Network, Tristan Newton, who had a double-double the last time that we saw you play in the national championship game. How's the ring feel, man? Uh, Feels good. Fits great. It took a while to get here, but uh, both of them look look way better than I thought. You got two of them. Yeah, we got two. We got one from the school and one from the NCAA, so... They both feel and look real good. Is it you know you put it on the same hand and you're you're just doing curls when you go like this or what? Uh, I, I put them on the first day, but then my mom told me she said, "Don't lose it, don't mess it up." So they've been in the case, and then when she yeah. comes up here to get them to hers, and she can do it. She signal. Yeah, she's yeah saying, you can't you can't risk it, huh? It. So Khalid Elamy, Ben Gordon, Shabazz Napier, Kemba Walker, Tristan Newton. How's it feel to hear those five names in a row? Oh, it feels great. You know, they're legends here at UConn. So just being in the names of, what was that, four or five? Those people, it was just it was just amazing. Out of that that group, who do you think your game most resembles? Um, uh, Most resembles, I, I, was, I don't know. They're like, those are like small guards who were like really shifty and, you know, 
Um, Ray Allen, definitely not him. You know, he's not down shooter. But I say probably Shabazz. Uh, he, watching him, he gets his teammates involved. And more like in the league, he was getting his teammates involved in this stuff like that. So I feel like he's who I resemble the most. So one of the concerns last year was part of, like, the the big guard, right? Is he is Tristan going to be athletic enough? Is he going to be able to handle that point guard role? You famously said, I think you said it to John Fanta, after the game, after you won the national title, you said, call me what you want, but make sure you call me a champion, right? How does it how does it feel now when you look back on that that journey that you had six months on? Uh, it feels good. I mean, like, at the beginning of the season, I feel like um, like when we were 14-0, nobody was questioning the point guard position, honestly. But then well, we you had two triple doubles, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So then we started losing. So I feel like, you know, I mean, I was playing bad, so I understand where the, the frustration came from. So... Uh, just going out as a winner, as a champion, having a good tournament run and a good last game, just showing what I'm capable of and proving to everybody that I'm a point guard and I could handle the role. It just feels amazing. I feel like uh, this year is going to be a lot better. I'm more comfortable in the system now. I've worked on my game, got a lot better over the summer, so I feel like this year will be so much better. Where did that improvement come from? Was it confidence? Was it picking up the offense? Was it just, you know, you had a bad month of January like everybody else on the team did? Uh, getting in the gym, I was missing shots that um I, I'm used to making. And got in the gym, confidence went up. My coach just tell me keep playing. Um, so pretty much confidence and just getting in the gym. And uh, yeah, I learned the offense more, but it's really the coaches and the people around me giving me confidence and helping me out and showing I was and telling me I was made for it. Now that's what I was here for. So, um, last couple months or last after January, just after January, it was just very good. It was like smooth sailing. Yeah, I mean that was I think that was the most impressive part to me about the run was mm-hmm. you know there were there were games in January where you did not look like yourself. Mm-hmm. And then in the national title game against one of the best defenses in college basketball, there are times where I think in the last five minutes there were about three possessions where you tried to run something, you didn't get anything, it was just kind of mm-hmm. all right, clear out, let Tristan go. Yeah, I mean, before the game coach told me this is this is my game. We had a small guy like what, five eight, five nine. He told me I was gonna be the X Factor to the game. So uh he gave me a Big confidence day before the game, so I just knew I can go in there comfortably, not worrying about if I mess up, if I'll be taken out or anything like that. So he just gave me the confidence that I can go out there and do it. And also my teammates give me the ball positions, and they're telling me get the ball, just go, go make a play, do what you do. So having them and my coaching staff, they really helped me out that last game. So Adama, mm-hmm. Andre, and Jordan, three guys that um, their development and their their ownership of the program last year, I think, is what had as much of an impact on on your growth as anything. Mm-hmm. You're in that role now. What did you learn from them, and how are you trying to apply that this season? Um, Adama, he he showed me how to like dominate in practice every day. Every day he would come and dominate. He doesn't want to lose any drill. He doesn't want to do anything. He showed me how to come in here and dominate. And, you know, every possession, go kill. Um, Andre, you know, he's a leader, vocal leader. He showed me how to talk to people, how to speak to people on and off the court, how to get the group together. Like, he, we always do team events, go out to eat. Even if we don't want to, he's just like, come on, you're not doing nothing else. Just sitting at home playing the game. So just come over, just chill or do something. And then Hulk, he, he was uh, like the gym rat. He came in the gym. He got his shots up. He he showed me how to work out, honestly, because when I worked out before, he uh, I would try to do every single thing like, every day. But he's like, nah, just like, you know, focus on what you're going to do in the game. He's coming off pin downs every day and working out. He's coming off pin downs at game speed, doing that stuff like that. He's not trying to go between legs, cross high floaters, do stuff like that because he wasn't really going to do that in the game. So he just showed me how to work out. So those three really helped me. And I feel like this year I could help our freshmen and even the returning guys. I could help them out a little bit more. So what are you what are you trying to do? You say you could help them out. Is it 
getting people over to your house? Is it making sure that guys are in the gym? Is it getting them in for captain's practices? What, how have you tried to embrace that? Yeah, it's a little, it's pretty much everything. Obviously, I mean, I try to hang out with my guys off the court because I feel like the relationship off the court is just as big as it on the court. You know, off the court, you can have a relationship with them and then on the court, you can, it's like not, not how you're saying it, it's just what you're saying because, you know, sometimes you're frustrated in the moment. So you're going to say it in a bad way, but. They know it's coming from love because we all want to win. So getting people on the court, I mean, off the court, getting them together and becoming good friends with them, I feel like it'll help us off the court a lot. So I was able to, I was able to watch practice today, and I think I learned probably what was about three or four new cuss words when I was in practice. I want, I want your best Coach Hurley story. Story? Or you know what? Give me, give me your, uh, your, the, the you transferred in from East Carolina, right? Give me that you're welcome to UConn moment. Welcome, welcome to a Coach Hurley practice moment. Oh well, so we were, um. You know, when I first got here, we were just shooting around doing stuff like that. Then our first practice, we go do medicine balls. Like it's not even our first practice, it's just like our first workout. We're doing medicine ball, like ball handling. So then we do stuff like that, then dribble. So I come and then I'm shooting. We have a drill called twenty five and two. So you gotta make twenty five threes around the thing in two minutes. So first time I ever do, I cramp up in my arm at like seventeen makes. So I gotta shoot the last eight shots with cramp in my arm. And he's just yelling, like, finish, finish, finish. He's like, shoot a left hand if you have to, but just finish. So that was the welcome to you comment. So he's he's kind of famously intense, right? Have you seen any change since the national championship? Is he still the same dude? Is he worse? Uh, I feel like he may be a little worse, honestly. <laughs> like, in a good way, though. Like, you know, we have a lot of young guys. So, I mean, last year we didn't have that many young guys. So we had, like, you know, people who knew what to do in college basketball. We had, like, Andre Adam and Jordan. So he knew what we were going to get from them. But we have a lot of young guys. And, I feel like he doesn't want us to get complacent just because winning the national championship, he's trying to do it again. He loves he loves that feeling, and I feel like we all do too. So he's just trying to stay on top of us and make sure that we don't get complacent so we can go make another run at it. So you mentioned um, Cam Spencer transferring in, another fifth-year guy, another old guy on a team that, you know, look, Alex and Donovan have been around, but they're not quite the same age, yeah. right? Um, what has he kind of brought to the program? Um, I mean, he's, it's a, he's a different type of – Different type of player. He he can shoot the ball. I mean, so like you know, give him the ball, he's gonna make the three. Like you don't even have to crash. You know, he's gonna mm-hmm. make it. And then like uh, you know, he he knows a lot about the game too. So he he's not like the vocal type leader yet because you know he's just getting acclimated with us. So he's not there yet. But he he'll bring you to the side, show you what he see. He has a lot of experience, so he knows little cracks. He's helping me out, like get my shot off a little faster and stuff like that. And you know, we're both not the quickest high high-jumping guy, so uh, just watching his game, try to implement some of his stuff into my game, and it's really helped me a lot. Have you gotten a dunk in a game yet? Is, and, are you gone? Yeah. I think I had, like, three or four last year. Three or four? Fast breaks, though. I am not dunking on nobody, just yeah. fast breaks. <laughs> yeah. All right, last three questions, and you can get out of here. You just heard me ask Donovan and Alex, best place to play in the Big East that is not one of UConn's three home courts? Uh, probably Xavier. Xavier? Yeah, is your Xavier. Favorite? That was, um, I thought it was my first – no, second row game in the Big East, and it was packed. You can't, you can barely hear the play calls, and they're cheering for them. We're going hard for them. So I feel like Xavier's the best one. What's your favorite memory from the national title run? The run? Um, <laughs> it was probably after the, what was it, when Hall got sick, the Miami game. Because um, like, I was his roommate, so he was throwing up all night. And like I was up. That, way, that was your show. favorite memory? No, no, no. no. Listening to after, him throw up is your favorite memory? No, after the game. After the game, like, it's like he's still feeling down, but everybody's happy. And I can see, like, 
we're happy. So he's his mood is brightening up and a lot of stuff like that. So just winning that uh, Final Four game, knowing we're going to the national championship game. That's did my did you like just make him stay in the bathroom the whole time? Like I don't want I don't want anything to do with Honestly, this. Okay, so on the road I bring a fan. Like I need a fan to sleep. So like I heard it a little bit, and like when we we're eating that dinner, he was like, "Yo, I'm gonna throw up," and I was like, "I thought he was just playing," but then he's just yelling and screaming all night, and then. They had to move me out so he wouldn't, he wouldn't get, get you sick. So, yeah, you think it was just something he ate, though? Yeah, I think it was some, I don't know, calamari, I think. You don't so. have to throw him under the bus. <laughs> all right, last one I got for you is your all-time UConn starting five. All right, I like um, – I'm going to go Dom as my center, and I'm going to go Hawkins as my two because I play big lineup. So Hawkins at my two. I'm going to have Rudy Gay handling the ball, though, right? Ray Allen at the three. And then I actually put Dama at the four and put uh, Ameka at the five. Adama and Ameka playing them together? Mm-hmm. Go with got, the supercharged lineup, huh? We got the shooters, Rudy Gay, Hogg, Ray Allen, and then the two bigs on there. Give it to them whenever. Oh, there you go. Them. Listen, Tristan Newton, double-double national champions. Thank you. Good to see you, man. Thank you.